Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Whenever she first got the diagnosis to whenever she passed, I thought that like we're all going to work together. I never really imagined that I would have to face all these roadblocks. This is Money Confidential, a podcast from Real Simple about our money stories, struggles, and secrets. I'm your host, Stephanie O'Connell-Rodriguez, and today our guest is a 26-year-old living in Texas who we're calling Drew, not his real name. I have six siblings. The oldest one is 45 years old, and then the youngest one is 19 years old. We grew up in this small town in Texas. And money, similar to most people, it wasn't really ever talked about. It was considered rude. And my parents, they were very lavish in their lifestyle choices. They bought this really big house. It was over 4,000 square feet. It had seven bedrooms. And throughout my childhood, they just spent tons and tons of money on renovations. And they bought jacuzzis, they bought new cars. It didn't fully hit that they weren't really making as much money to afford all of these things until they actually got divorced. And I found out that both of them were in massive amounts of credit card debt, like tens of thousands of dollars. Did you have a conception of what tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt actually meant at the time? No, (laughs) no. So like I was 14 years old whenever they got a divorce. And whenever you're a teenager, you think even $100 is considered like a lot of money. Yeah. So when I was 18, I went off to college and I just remember thinking, how can anybody afford anything? <laughs> is everybody in credit card debt? After going away for college and graduating, Drew moved back home to live with his mother while he started looking for a job. We saw each other every day. We were like really close because I would always go out to eat with her all the time and always help her with stuff. But then I got like another job where I actually like moved out of the U.S. and to Thailand. And so I wasn't as close to her being in different countries, different time zones. But one of the things that brought us back closer together was she was diagnosed with colon cancer. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'm just going to finish out my teaching contract here in Thailand. And then I'm going to come back to the U.S. Whenever she found out, they said, yeah, it's stage four, it's terminal. And they didn't give an exact estimate, oh, like, you know, this is when you're going to pass. But they said, you know, it'd probably be about two to five years that you have left. So given that this was a terminal disease, was there any kind of open discussion about the financial planning and estate planning associated with that? Yeah, there was a little bit, but she was very secretive about money. She said, like, oh, hey... These are some of my plans of what I want you to do after I pass. But I tried to delve deeper into it. Like, hey, we need to plan this out exactly. We need to say like, hey, this thing is going here. This thing is going there. And she was like, yeah, you know, I understand. And I tried to get her to do that several times. But she was very secretive, again, about her money, her assets, And she didn't really want to talk about it whenever 
I tried to press her about it. So she just always said, oh, well, you know, it's fine. I have everything planned out. She had like a few little scribbles of paper of, oh, I leave my house to this child of mine, but none of them were like valid. So there ended up being like no plan in place. Drew learned all of this just after his mother passed away while making funeral arrangements and sorting through her things. There was just mountains upon mountains upon mountains of paperwork. It took us several days to go through all of the different papers. And we were just trying to find this plan that she was talking about because originally she was like, I'll put it in my dresser in my bedroom. And then I looked there and this moment of panic set in because I looked in the dresser and nothing was there. Are there other things you're finding as you're going through the paperwork that you didn't expect? Yeah, there was like a lot of surprising stuff that I found. I found out that she had been married like a total of five times. I found out that she had her first marriage when she was still in high school. So that was shocking. And then I found out about these assets that I never realized that she had. It was also like a lot of confusion too. Just sitting there going through all of this stuff. Like why, why couldn't she be more forthcoming? And not just all of the secrets that I uncovered, but just creating a will and making sure that everything was organized. Because, you know, something that people don't really tell you whenever like a loved one dies is that you're having to deal with all of this stuff. You have like your regular life responsibilities. You have like your full-time job, your relationships, and all of your miscellaneous everyday errands. And then now this new big thing gets thrown into the mix. And whenever she passed, I didn't cry at first. It didn't happen until like several months later because you have so much to do. I have to prep the funeral arrangements. I have to make sure this gets done. <laughs> you almost have to like schedule in a time to grieve. Like, okay, well, I have to do all of this paperwork first and then maybe I can cry after 8 p.m. tonight once I'm all done. So after several days of looking through the assortment of paperwork, and realizing that there was no plan, people's true intentions started to come out. My stepdad, her husband, none of my siblings had ever had like a super close relationship with him. He started to get more reserved and he wanted to take control of everything. He didn't want to go through the process of probate. He said that the two cars that my mom had, those were completely his, that we shouldn't get anything from them. He said that any money that was left in my mom's retirement account, that that was all his, that we shouldn't get any of it. And he also said that the house that they lived in, that us seven kids, that we didn't own any of it, that the house was completely his and that he intended to take it fully. Did you wind up having to hire an attorney? Yeah, which that's another thing. People don't realize how crazy expensive it is whenever a person passes away without a will. He was like, it's going to be four thousand dollars for the retainer and i thought oh my gosh this is so much money and that was just the initial retainer so after about five months of him doing legal work he said hey here's another bill so yeah like it was another bill for three thousand six hundred dollars so literally anytime i'm working with him even if i'm just giving like a phone call to him for like 15 minutes that's 88 dollars right there in total, I had to pay the retainer up front, 4000 And then so far, I've spent $15,700. And then I fully expect it to probably be like 
over like $50,000 whenever this is all said and done. And are you shouldering that cost alone? Are your siblings helping you? That's another exhausting thing. So everybody seems to be broke whenever expenses come up. Most of my siblings, so like five out of the seven of us paid, we each divided up that initial $4,000 retainer. But all of the rest of the expenses I've paid for out of my own pocket, which it is really hard. I just hate it so much. I've drained a lot of my savings and I've had to like pull from my 401k. I hate having to do that, but I basically have been shouldering most of the costs like for all of it. I never imagined that number one, that it would be so expensive. And then number two, that I would be like shouldering most of the costs. I try not to think about it because it just makes me sad whenever I think about like how much money I'm spending on this. At the same time, I know that I can't just not think about it. I have to think about it. So maybe once all of the assets are distributed, once the houses are sold and like any other money is distributed, that it'll all come back to me. So I'll be on level footing again. And I can put the money that I withdrew from my 401k back into it. So I'm optimistic, but I don't know. It's just everything in this process has been really unpredictable so far. Like I don't really have anyone to lean on, like anyone to ask questions. Like what should I do here? What should I do there? Especially because I don't want to live in Texas I want to move away from Texas. I want to do other things with my life. But I just feel like this probate process, is just, it's just like keeping me chained to where I am. And it's hard for me to even plan anything out. I can't say like, oh, I can save up this amount of money for moving and then I can move next summer or anything because I have no idea. Yeah, I expect it to take two years more, but I truly have no idea how long it could take. So. I can't really fully plan my life because there's this massive thing that's causing me to spend a bunch of money. So I can't fully plan out my financial goals. I can't fully just plan out my personal goals. I just really can't plan out anything at all. I just have to like stay put and just keep signing the checks. Roughly two in three Americans still do not have essential estate planning documents like a will, according to a 2021 survey, which can lead to painful and costly consequences like those Drew has been dealing with for the last few years. So after the break, we'll speak to personal finance journalist and author Cameron Huddleston about how we can talk to our loved ones about these essential documents and revisit our own financial plans to avoid leaving our loved ones in a similar position. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Cameron Huddleston is a veteran personal finance journalist and the author of Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances. There are actually two reasons why I wrote my book. One, my father died at the age of 61 without a will. And he was an attorney. He was in a second marriage. He should have known better. I have no idea what his wishes were because he never put them in writing. It wasn't until my stepmother passed away that I did get a few of my father's belongings, a desk that he used to work at that was really special to me. But we never had those conversations, never saw a reason to ask my dad if he had a will, I think in large part because I just assumed that he did. Then when I was 35 and my mom was 65, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Again, I had not had any detailed conversations with her about her finances, and so I suddenly had to scramble to get her in to meet with an attorney to update all of her legal documents, you know, and then I had to have conversations with her about her finances because I knew I was going to be the one to have to manage them for her as her memory declined, and I eventually took over managing all of her money as her Alzheimer's progressed. And when I made that first step of asking her to meet with an attorney to update her legal documents, she said, sure. And this was really a great place to start because meeting with that third party, that professional, that person who wasn't involved with our personal lives, but who was approaching her as this unbiased professional saying, okay, now you've got these documents in place. You have named a power of attorney that is your daughter and she can make financial decisions for you. You need to go to the bank. That's the next step you need to take. And you need to take that power of attorney document and let the bank know. And so that attorney played sort of a guide for us. And my mother was willing to listen to the attorney because it wasn't coming from her daughter necessarily. So having someone else say, you need to take these next steps was super helpful. And then I did have to play detective a lot of the times because she was forgetting things. So it's a conversation that needs to happen. But I realize a lot of people don't have these conversations until it's too late. So given that this is a conversation that needs to happen, do you have any specific language or scripts that you recommend people use to get started? You could say to your parents, you know, this pandemic has made me really think about the need to plan for emergencies. And maybe you could use yourself as an example of some of the things you've done. You know, I've I've made sure I've started setting aside money in an emergency fund. I've made sure that I have life insurance. I've made sure that I now have a will. Mom and dad, I'd love to hear what sort of emergency planning you've done just in case there is an emergency and I need to step in and help you. So that's one way to do it. You could use a story, talk about someone you know, say, hey, I was listening to this podcast and there was this woman who was talking about how her dad died at the age of 61 without a will and it made things really difficult for their family. If you're really young yourself and just starting out, go to your parents for advice. And the key is by asking these questions about what sort of things you need to do at your stage of life, you're going to get insight into what sort of planning your parents have done. So for example, you might say, 
hey, I just started a new job. Do I need to be contributing to my retirement plan at work? And your parents might say, oh, yes, you should definitely do that because we didn't save enough for retirement. And now we're trying to figure out how we're going to live comfortably in retirement. Well, that should lead to some other conversations. Oh, well, are you counting on Social Security? Are you planning on working longer then? Keep the conversation going by asking more questions. But again, the key here is to make it look like you're looking for advice for your parents because your parents are going to feel comfortable giving you the child advice. It it avoids that role reversal that is what really trips up a lot of these conversations. So let's say I get the conversation started. What are the things I need to make sure I cover in that conversation? So you want to make sure you do take this slowly. You don't want to start grilling your parents for every detail about their finances, and they might not be ready to give you all those details, especially dollars and cents. The key things you really need to find out are, do your parents have essential estate planning documents, a will or a trust, something that spells out who gets what when they die? Because if you die without a will, your state essentially has one for you. And state law might determine that your money gets split up in a way that you don't want it to get split up. And so your parents need to realize this. And a lot of people think, well, I don't need a will. My family members get along great. They're going to sort it out. Well, I can tell you that once money gets involved, family members don't always get along great. In fact, fights erupt and people can end up in court. And so it's important to let your parents know you need to put your wishes in writing. Please don't make us guess. Please don't make it figure out what you want. You tell us so that we can honor those wishes and so that a court will honor those wishes more importantly, so that it's not a judge making the decision who gets what. It's your will that's going to spell out who gets what or the trust that spells out who gets what and when they get it. Power of attorney. This document, I think, is even more important than the will because a power of attorney lets you name someone to make financial decisions and make financial transactions for you if you're no longer able to. And the key here is to make sure your parents have a durable power of attorney. It goes into effect essentially right away, and it remains in effect if they become mentally incompetent. If this document is not in place, then someone, possibly you, will have to go to court to prove your parent is no longer competent enough to manage his or her finances. And this can be incredibly expensive. It can be emotionally challenging. It can take a lot of time. One person I interviewed for my book ended up spending nine months and $10,000 going through this process. And in the meantime, he was having to pay for his father's nursing home bills out of his own pocket until he could get access to his dad's bank account. So this document is so important. If your parents think, well, why do I want to give you so much power now? You just simply say to your parents, look, I don't have any true power until I have that document in my hand. The bank's not going to take my word for it. Get the document, put it someplace safe, and tell me under what circumstances I'm allowed to access it and start acting as your power of attorney. Final document is an advanced directive, spells out what sort of end-of-life medical treatment your parents do or do not want. You can also name a healthcare proxy someone to make medical decisions for you if you can't. Parents need to have this in place too while they are still mentally competent because if mom has a stroke and you're the one who's going to have to make decisions about her care, you can't do this without 
being named her healthcare proxy. And if there's not a healthcare proxy, then you run into those situations where families are fighting over what mom's care should be. Do we keep her hooked up to life support? And we know from paying attention to the media that these type of things end up in really long drawn out court cases and court battles that can last for years. So let your parents know these documents are essential. And if they don't have them, encourage them to meet with an attorney. The next thing that you want to find out is how do they pay their bills? Are they paying them by check or are they paying them by direct deposit, automatic bill payment? And the reason this is important is for emergency planning. If that stroke were to happen, if your parents were to contract the coronavirus, if there was a car accident, you want to be able to step in and make sure their bills continue to get paid if they are, for example, in the hospital and can't pay those bills themselves. These are the key things that you want to start with. Do they have a life insurance policy? Do they have long-term care insurance? You want to find out about their retirement planning and what their retirement plans are. You want to find out all the details if you can and ask them to write it down if they don't feel comfortable telling you. Ask them to make a list, put it with those estate planning documents, and then again, tell you when and how you can access it. If you don't have these conversations, you can end up in court and you can end up spending thousands and tens of thousands of dollars trying to settle an estate. Your listener, it already sounds like he's really deep into it. I feel like if he were in the early stages, the best advice might be, well, maybe you just want to cut your losses here. I guess in a way it depends on how much money he could potentially receive from the estate of his mother. I mean, if we're talking millions of dollars, then perhaps the fight is worth it. If, if we're talking maybe all that's left is a family home and he wants to have access to that house that he grew up in, but the stepfather is you know, reluctant to hand that over, it might be better to cut his losses rather than pull more money out of his own retirement account to end up going into debt. Is there kind of an overview process of what happens and what you should do when somebody does die without a will? Even if you have a will, in most states, you will still have to go through what is called the probate process. It is the legal process for dividing up someone's assets and settling their debts. So if your parent had a trust, a trust will allow you to avoid the probate process. But if you simply have a will, in most places, you do have to go through the probate process. It's just that at that point, rather than dying without a will and having the state law determine who gets what, the judge is going to look at the will and in most cases will divide up those assets according to the will. If there is no will, then you have no choice but to go through that probate process. You can't touch any money, any of your parents' money. You can't sell the house. You can't touch anything in the bank until the probate process is settled. So let's say mom died and she didn't have any sort of life insurance that you would receive as a beneficiary to help pay for funeral costs. You can't access the bank account until everything goes through probate. You don't have sitting around to pay those funeral costs. And so now you're going to have to start a GoFundMe account or you're going to have to reach out to family members and ask everyone to, to chip in. And so it makes everything take longer. And you've got family members who are going to come out of the woodwork 
And really, it just leads to more arguments, more attorneys possibly getting involved. Cousin Fred gets an attorney and Sister Sally and Aunt Sue and everyone now is hiring an attorney so they can get what they think they deserve. So having a will does make things easier. It's really best to meet with an attorney and figure out what option is best for you, best for your parent, whether it's the will, the trust, depending on the probate laws in your state. But another reason to have these conversations is even if your parent does die with the will, you have to take inventory of all those assets. The court wants to know what your parent has, and especially because creditors are going to want to be paid back. And if you don't know what your parents have, it makes the process a lot more difficult. And this is just not something you want to have to deal with when you are grieving. And so the more information you have, the more things are in place, the easier it will be when you lose a parent. Now, I know that does not mean that you should ask your parents, how much am I getting? How much are my siblings getting? They don't have to tell you that. Like I said, the key is to know whether they have these documents. People will still fight over things. I mean, people will fight over the smallest thing. And I think in some families, there's not going to be a way to resolve your differences and you're going to have to get a third party to help a counselor. If it's really bad, reach out to a social worker, reach out to a family counselor who can help you. Maybe reach out to the leader of the place where you worship, whether it's your pastor, your rabbi, you know, a clergy member who can help. But, you know, unfortunately in some families you can try all of these things and it's not going to solve all of the issues. And at that point, sometimes you might have to say, well, gee, I really would have loved to have gotten the family home, but it's not worth it to continue fighting with my sister, my brother, my aunt, my uncle. You've got to figure out what matters most to you at that point. Now, speaking of trying to hire professionals, whether it is a mediator or an attorney, is there something that we should be looking out for or something we should be asking when we are trying to hire these professionals? Well, definitely if this has to do with estate planning, you do want to hire an estate planning attorney, someone who specializes in this area of the law. That's the first place you want to start. When you meet with the estate planning attorney, you want to ask them what sort of experience they have in situations that are similar to yours. Same sort of financial situation, same sort of family dynamic. Who are your clients? What are your clients like? Do you have any clients who might be willing to provide references, You know, share their experience with you? So certainly asking for recommendations from friends and family. Reach out to people who are older, maybe older family members who have worked with an attorney. That's a way to start. I mean, it can be hard to find a good attorney. I think if you can have some conversations with that person, though, before you actually start writing checks to them (laughs) so you can get a feel for that person and are you comfortable with this person and can they speak to you on your level? Can they speak to you in terms you understand? If they're just going to speak to you with a lot of legalese, then maybe that's not the right person for you because you're not going to be able to speak openly with that person because you're not going to understand what they're saying. I really feel for your listener. He's in a really tough, situation. But I do think it's the perfect example of why these conversations are important. And I understand, you know, you said that he tried to talk with his mom 
And some people are just so reluctant. But yeah, let's revert to, okay, you don't want to tell me, put it in writing. So another thing is, it's not just about dividing potential assets among siblings, but it's also shouldering the cost of all of these attorney's fees among the siblings. So any thoughts about how do you get people on board to kind of pull their weight in the effort? When you're talking to your siblings and family members, I know you care about the outcome. If you truly do care, I would hope that you would be willing to help shoulder some of the cost. If perhaps that it doesn't fit within your budget now, maybe we can set up some sort of payment plan. This is how much I would hope that you could contribute in total. And maybe you contribute $50 a month until we reach that total amount. I've just heard so many of these stories about family members who are torn apart because someone really digs their heels in and they're not willing to give an inch and they are fighting tooth and nails so that they can hang on to the family home or, or you know, whatever it might be. And I hate that. I just hate hearing about families who are torn apart over money. I think there's also this idea that estate planning is something that's reserved for the ultra wealthy. What do you think of that? No, it is not reserved for the ultra wealthy. I think it's just as important for people who who don't have a lot of money to do this because, again, it's going to lead to fighting. And it's especially important to have that power of attorney set up because if you don't have a lot of money, you are going to be more likely to have to rely on family members for that caregiving support. And you need to name someone you trust to be making your financial and healthcare decisions for you because if you don't, someone might step up and try to become your conservator or guardian, and that might not be the person you want making those decisions for you. Everyone needs these estate planning documents. It is not just for the rich. It's not just for the famous. It just makes life so much easier for everyone involved. Whether you're talking to a grandparent, a parent, or a spouse about estate planning, or even working to get it done for yourself, you can start with Cameron's essential estate planning documents, a will or trust, a durable power of attorney, and an advanced healthcare directive. From there, consider other potential needs like life and long-term care insurance, and how financial details like how bills are paid and where and how essential documents can be accessed will be communicated should loved ones need to step in on your behalf or should you need to step in on theirs. Of course, these conversations aren't easy. So remember Cameron's conversation starters, like using a current event, a story like the one you heard today, or a question about your own financial planning to start digging into the details. An outside professional like an attorney or a financial planner can also serve as a neutral guide throughout this process. And if all else fails, remember Cameron's key phrase. If you don't want to tell me, just put it in writing. This has been Money Confidential from Real Simple. If, like Drew, you have a money story or question to share, you can send me an email at money.confidential at realsimple.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 929-352-4106. Come back next week when we'll be talking to a California-based listener who asks a familiar question. Is renting really throwing away money? Be sure to follow Money Confidential on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you 
you listen so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love your feedback. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at realsimple.com. Money Confidential is produced by Mickey O'Connor, Heather Morgan Schott, and me, Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Danielle Roth, Chris Browning, and Trey Boudie.